Well, good morning and welcome to Embrace. Okay, that was like a little, good morning and welcome to Embrace. We're going to praise the Lord this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Tanya Torp. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And welcome from all of us to you. There is a little card in the, the pulpit or the pew in front of you that has a, a kind of a welcome. You can put some information about yourself so we can get to know you. Or if you have a prayer request, we have a very dedicated prayer team that keeps all of your prayer requests confidential, and we would love to hear from you. We would love to pray for you. So this morning, I'm just going to open us up in prayer before I kick it over to the worship team. So please pray with me now. Father, thank you so much for an amazing day. The sun is out, and we are in the house together. We are online together here prepared to worship you. We thank you that you have brought us to another day and an opportunity to hear your name, hear your words, and to worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Let's stand and we'll share together our call to worship. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever. Amen. Lord is 
We know that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong that we have done. Merciful God. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Y'all may have a seat. It is really good to be here today. My name is John, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Just want to say welcome to each and every one of you. Um, One tradition that we have at our church is that every Sunday we gather, we always take just a few moments uh, to share with one another. And so for uh, you extroverts in the room, you probably love this time. It's Tanya's favorite time in the service, as you're probably not surprised. Um, For those of us who are more uh, introverts in the room, it might be our least favorite moment uh, in the service. But I think it's always good to, to have some conversation and connect with each other and to push ourselves and share even if maybe we don't know anyone, it's a, good, it's a good opportunity to meet somebody new. And so what we do each week is we're just going to gather and turn to maybe groups of three or four or five people around you and share uh, your name, and, and then we, we share our gratitude and lament. And so you can share something you're grateful for. I think we all have something we can be grateful for this morning, even if we're going through hard times. And then if you have a lament, a lament is just sharing something that's maybe not got, doing so well, maybe something you see in our world or in our community that's uh, 
causing you grief or just upsetting you or even making you angry. Uh, that's, we, we are a community where we want to be able to share openly about the good things and the hard things. And so no pressure to share anything if you don't want to, uh, but let's just take some time to share with one another. I'll invite us back together in just a few moments. So let's do that now.
That's beautiful sharing out there. This is community. Sharing each other's lives. Let's continue worshiping. Let's sing together. Proclaiming how great our God is. I pray as you come in this morning, you have a real sense of his greatness in your life. Not only the freedom that he provides, but the love, the light, the restoration. I love you, God. Let's stand. Let's sing together.
ready for this? We're not messing around up here. We've got God on our mind and in our hearts. Thank you, God, for your presence, your power, your strength. We pray it would renew us in this day, in this hour.
Amen. Amen. We all can have a seat. At Embrace, we, uh, we have a ministry called the Wonder Room that most of you are probably familiar with, but is for our children. And we do it every Sunday except the first Sunday of the month. And so we have Wonder Room this morning for children who are four years old all the way through fifth grade. And if you are a parent and you are here, uh, maybe for the first time or haven't been here in a long time, um, we invite you to walk up with your child just to make sure we have the proper forms filled out for you, and also you can check out to see where they're going. So as they come forward, let's give them a hand as they come up to the front. So um, as they're kind of heading now, I, I want to begin to share a few words just about uh, Martin Luther King Day, uh, which is tomorrow. Um, I don't typically like to celebrate American holidays at church on Sundays. Uh, we have our own Christian calendar with our own holidays that we celebrate. Um, but one and I do like to celebrate um, is Martin Luther King Day. And, and in many ways, it's because Dr. King, I believe, was a, a prophetic figure and spoke a truth that, that we all need to hear. And, and there were so many others in the freedom movement surrounding um, Dr. King and many other leaders who were really 
Um, they were the ones who were doing most of the work and really pushing forward uh, this vision that we need here in America. Um, Dr. King was born on this day 94 years ago in 1929, and it's just wild to think that he could still be living today. Um, he died all too young, assassinated at the age of 39. His death exposed the profound sickness and depravity of our nation, that we killed a man who was fiercely committed to love, practiced nonviolence, and ultimately wanted our nation to be whole. You know, every year, one thing that I do is I always read Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail. And one reason I, I read it is because I feel like in many ways it's written to me as a white pastor here in America. This letter was written uh, by Dr. King while he was incarcerated in the Birmingham jail after being arrested for what they considered to be an unlawful protest. And he wrote a letter while he was there in response to another letter that was written by a group of white pastors entitled, A Call to Unity. And in their letter, these white pastors criticized the work of the freedom movement and argued essentially for a more civil approach to ending segregation and unjust laws. And Dr. King responded to their letter and their critique of his work and all the people who were working with him with really what I believe is a prophetic word for white Christians. And I encourage you all to go read it. You can Google it online. It is there. There's multiple places you can get it for free. It's a powerful letter. I want to share a quote with you in just a second. So in the midst of all the horrific crimes against black people, King lamented that the vast majority of white churches remained silent and were doing nothing to help them in their struggle for freedom. And he said these words, and, and there's so many quotes I could share from this letter, but this is one in particular um, stuck out to me this week. He says, I have watched white churches stand on the sidelines and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard so many ministers say, those are social issues which the gospel has nothing to do with. And I have watched so many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion which made a strange distinction between bodies and souls, the sacred and secular. There's a lot that we can unpack there. But he's basically just pointing out that he watched so many of his white uh, colleagues, because he was a minister himself, and he had thought that many of the white pastors would step forward, that many of the white churches would step forward and join uh, Dr. King in this movement. And he was devastated by the fact that very few did. And the vast majority of the white Christians just stood on the sidelines and watched everything that happened and did not get involved. And it makes me wonder today, you know, what are the things that we are standing on the sidelines watching? The things that we need to do to get involved. It's easy for me to think if I was alive back then, I would have been there. I would have been on the front lines. I would have been there in the marches. I would have been doing the work day in and day out. But the sad reality is there's a good chance I wouldn't have because that's what the vast majority of people like me in my position were doing. You know, it's always tempting. It's always tempting to sit on the sidelines, especially for those of us with privilege and power. It's tempting to worship the Christ and fail to live like Jesus. This letter, I think, could have been written today 
we still need to hear his words. You know, Dr. King advocated and fought for voting rights and workers' rights and economic justice. He also worked against uh, segregation and the Vietnam War. And also, as a minister of the gospel, Dr. King cast a vision of what he called the beloved community. And the beloved community is very similar to what Jesus talked about when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. The beloved community was ultimately the goal for Dr. King. It is what we ought to be working toward. And ultimately, it's a vision of what the Bible talks about as shalom. It's this biblical peace where everyone has access to the things that lead to flourishing in life, where all of us are taken care of. It's ultimately of a vision of a whole society where from the bottom to the top, everybody has what they need and everyone can live a life of flourishing. And you all agree, we have a lot more work left to do. Uh, to get there. This morning, I want to highlight one of our partner ministries, Common Good, for a moment, uh, because Common Good's vision is very similar, actually, to King's beloved community, because what they do is they work tirelessly, day in and day out, to create safe spaces for our community to know love. And ultimately, that's what the kingdom of God is. It's a place where everyone is loved, where everyone is cared for, where everyone has access to the things that they need to thrive in this world. And that's what Common Good's vision ultimately is about. And so this morning, um, I'm going to invite Grayson Mitchell to come forward. Come on up, Grayson. Let's give Grayson a hand as he comes forward. Grayson is the youth program director at Common Good, and he has uh, been there for... Over a year now? Yeah, coming up to a, 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 over a year or just a year? About close to two years. Oh my goodness, time flies. Uh, but Grayson is working with our middle school and high school students, and uh, he is partnering with Noran to, to really provide leadership for um, our programs there. And they meet right here in the basement of our church underneath this sanctuary. So he's going to tell you about a way that you can get involved if you would like to kind of get, get involved and, and get to know folks in our community and really play your part in helping us see this vision of the kingdom of God or the beloved community come to fruition here in our neighborhood. Thanks, John. I'm Grayson. Uh, John said that I'm the youth program coordinator at Common Good. Uh, in the youth program, we have around 38 middle school and high school students that come weekly. I think many of you already know what Common Good is, and I think the first thing that comes to many people's mind is that we're an after-school program. This is true, but we are so much more. So I wanted to share today a couple of new uh, things that we're doing this semester, specifically in the youth program, um, that we think is important for our students' development. The first is we're creating a student council uh, where students will learn, to, will learn how to lead, plan, and make decisions. This is something that we've had in the elementary program, uh, but we're bringing to the youth because we think it's an important opportunity. Hopefully students can also grow to understand that they have a loud voice in shaping the youth program now and in the future. A second opportunity that I'm really excited about is called career readiness. In career readiness, we hope students have more direction and feel more confident about life after high school. And yeah, students will hear from successful people in diverse careers, and they will also consider which soft skills are needed where they wanna go. There's a lot more going on too, from spiritual formation to art club, 
to learning about neuroscience, there's a lot more to our after-school program. To provide these opportunities and carry out personalized support to each student, we need mentors. Mentors truly enrich our students in many ways. The majority of mentors say that building relationships with students is the best part about the experience. I know this to be true. I was a mentor in second and third grade when I was a senior in high school. And five, year later, five years later, I came back because I loved it so much. And I'm mentoring those same students in second and third grade that are now in the youth program. It has been amazing to see how they have grown and the huge impact Common Good mentors have had in their lives. In the youth program, we still need about five more mentors uh, this semester. And in the elementary classes, we need about 10 more. If anything I've said today resonated with you, I'd like to challenge you to mentor and share the opportunity with others. Common Good does start this week, but it's not too late to sign up. I'll be in the back of the, of the church with mentor applications uh, and to answer any questions. Thanks. Thank you, Grayson. Um, I'll say from the many years that I've mentored at Common Good, it's been a blessing, and I've, I know that I've been able to, to make an impact in, in some students' lives, but the reality is they've made a bigger impact in my life than I've made in theirs, and so it's really a mutual thing when you mentor. It's uh, just a really uh, powerful experience, and so I encourage you all to consider getting involved. Um, we're going to spend just a few moments in prayer this morning. I'm going to kneel at the altar. If anybody would like to join me at the altar, you're welcome to. We'll close by saying the Lord's Prayer at the end, and the words for that will be on the screen. Jesus, we come to you this morning, and we are so, so grateful for this time that we get to spend together. Each and every week we gather, we are encouraged, and we are blessed by having a real encounter with you and with one another. I just thank you for the gift of community. I thank you for the gift of the body of Christ that we don't have to live this life alone. We don't have to follow you alone, that we don't have to do everything, that we just have to play our part and trust you and one another to pick up the pieces and do the rest. And God, we thank you also that we are part of a long long legacy of people who have come before us, people who have come before us, who have carried the torch, who have followed your example, who have been beacons of light and hope and justice in our world, and have worked tirelessly to spread your love and your goodness throughout this world. And this particular weekend, we are particularly mindful of 
just the hundreds upon hundreds and thousands and upon thousands of individuals during the freedom movement that did so much to advance forward important changes in legislation and, and really sought even to change the heart and soul of America, which we know ultimately wasn't really changed. And so, Lord, we know that we have to continue on. And we carry the torch and we continue on and follow in the legacy of those who have come before us to share your powerful gospel, your holistic gospel that's about mind, body, and spirit that transforms lives and communities and ultimately will transform this entire world. And Lord, help us, Lord, to have the courage to tap into the courage of those in the great cloud of witnesses that come before us and to spread your light and your goodness and your justice in our world today. Help us to know what our part is. And Lord, we pray you would give us the courage and the resolve to not sit on the sidelines and not just mouth, you know, things that sound good or religious words. But Lord, we would let your truth and your word penetrate our hearts and spill out into the way that we live in this world, that we would borrow your eyes and your hands and your feet and your ears, that we would borrow your body, Lord, that we would be people who live in the way that you have called us to live here in this world. Give us that courage and that fortitude and that inspiration and that vision, Lord, to see the path that you've laid out before us, even if it's a path of sacrifice, even if it's a path that requires great humility, even if it's a path that is dangerous even, Lord. Help us to have the courage to take the risk and to follow you in the direction, Lord, that you have clearly laid out for us time and time again. Through your words in Scripture and through the many examples, the many prophets that have come before us who have pointed in the direction that you are calling us to go. I pray, Lord, that we would not silence the prophets, that we would not ignore the prophets among us, but we would listen to their challenging words and we would pay attention to their risky and, and, and li out, kind of lives that are lived out loud in public, that we would pay attention, Lord, and that we would be compelled to respond in the way that you have called us to respond. And Lord, I pray that at all times we would be about love, not a sentimental love, not a purely emotional love, but a gritty love. A love that perseveres, that fights, that is committed, that is dedicated. A love that forgives. A love that is even wide enough to include our enemies. Lord, we need you so much. And we pray, Lord, that you would just speak truth to us in our moments of prayer today and as we go throughout our weeks. And that we would not be afraid to hear your truth, Lord, and allow it to penetrate into our hearts and spill out into the way we live our lives. Lord, we need you so much this morning. There is a lot of suffering and pain still going on all around us. There is so much devastation being caused by just extreme weather that we continue to see over and over and over again. Lord, I'm thinking of those in California that just continue, Lord, to be just dumped on by 
massive amounts of rain, Lord, and flooding and all the resulting hardship and devastation and even death, Lord. We pray for perseverance, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that there would be an end to this devastation. Lord, there's so much else going on, and we could not possibly mention all the suffering and pain around us. And we just pray this morning that you would come, that you would enter into that, those hard times that people are facing, and that you would walk with us through them and give us the strength to keep moving forward. Lord, we love you so much, and we pray that you would just speak to our hearts this morning, that we would hear your voice, and that we would feel closer to you as we leave this place. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, who taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for spending a few moments in prayer this morning. Um, I'm really excited this morning because Christina and I both are going to share a little bit today. And Christina is actually going to share a song with you all as well at the end. So um, I'm excited about what we have to share. And it's a great message to hear at the beginning of the year. Uh, this morning, I just want to be clear right up from the beginning. That my hope for us this morning is that we will experience Jesus in one way or another. That we will experience Jesus. My hope is that each and every one of us in this room will have a genuine encounter with Jesus. You know, sometimes we, we show up to church and we just kind of go through the routine, we go through the motions, and then we just go home. And, and that's okay. Sometimes that's about all we can do, maybe, is just show up. And if that's you, then I'm glad you are here. This morning, though, I just encourage you just to try to lean in a little bit. I encourage you to try to put away any distractions that might be in front of you right now. Try to place yourself in the story that we're going to read today. Because these words from Scripture, they weren't just ancient words written a long time ago. They have power for us today. They're speaking truth. They are alive for us today in this moment. What we have to share this morning actually I think is quite simple. But it has the power and the potential to be life-changing. So I'm going to read our Scripture from this morning. It comes from the Gospel of John. And I'm just going to read it off the screen uh, here this morning so you can follow along. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one you will baptize, or who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, 
the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. So this passage begins with John the Baptist speaking about Jesus. It's a similar story in a way to what Rick preached last week, except it's from a different gospel. And we don't actually see John baptizing anyone in this gospel, but we see John being a witness and speaking about what he saw in Jesus. Um, I've heard someone say that in the gospel of John, he's, this guy is not John the Baptist, he's John the witness. And that's really the emphasis that John is placing, uh, the gospel writer John is placing on John the Baptist. Those are two different Johns, by the way. And so in this passage, we, we hear John the Baptist or John the witness speaking about Jesus. And he essentially says, you all, I saw it with my own eyes. He is the one that we've been waiting for. He's like, I saw the dove come down. I heard the voice from heaven. It's like, y'all got to trust me on this. This is the one we've been waiting for. And John was a very respected person. He was a prophetic figure. But he said, this, this guy is far greater than I will ever be. This is the one I'm talking about. And two of John, the, the Baptist disciples, left John the Baptist, and they started following Jesus. Now Jesus turned around, and he saw these two men following him. And he spoke his first words in the entire Gospel of John. These are the first words that Jesus speaks in this Gospel. And His first words were actually a question. Jesus was a really good teacher. You know, I think good teachers, they ask way more questions and they give less answers, right? This is what Jesus was about. He was always trying to get people to think, to get people to use their minds and to consider what God was saying to them, to ponder important things. And so the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are a question. And here's the question he asks. He says, what are you seeking? Now, you may have noticed the NIV, which I read from, the question Jesus asked was, what do you want? And, and, and you know, that, that translation makes it kind of sound like Jesus was a bit, annoyed or something. He's like, you know, what do you want? Why are you following me, you know? Um, he's like kind of asking them, like, what are you trying to get from me here? And ultimately, I don't think that that's really what Jesus was getting at. His question was much deeper. A more appropriate translation, in my opinion, is what are you seeking? It also could be, what are your dreams? What are you looking for? What are you hoping for? What do you want to see? You know, Jesus said a lot, probably in those first few days of his ministry. He probably said other things to those two disciples in that moment. 
But the gospel writer, the one who wrote this book of John, chose these words as the words he wanted to put first from Jesus' mouth in his gospel. And these words were a question. What are you seeking? So we should know right off the bat that the gospel of John is for people who are seeking, people who are searching, who are longing, who are hoping for something better. I want you to imagine Jesus asking you that question this morning. What are you seeking? What are you longing for? What are you hoping for in your own life, in our community, in the world? What is it that you are seeking? That is a question I think we all need to consider. And we've got to keep considering and revisiting that question over and over and over again throughout our lives. Right now in January, at the beginning of the year, it's always a time I'm asking myself that question. What am I really seeking? Who do I want to be? I've already run in, talked to a few people this year who are saying that they're trying to kind of course correct and redirect their lives a bit right now because they realize that, that the things they want, they're not actually working towards. And so wanting to reorient and reprioritize. What is it that we really want in our lives? You know, in our society here, we're not encouraged to think too deeply on that question. The powerful forces of, of capitalism and just our, our society want to give us the answer to that question and also want to tell us how to achieve whatever it is that we're seeking. Think about this with me. All right? I think most people in the world ultimately are wanting fulfillment. We're wanting happiness. We're wanting belonging. We want wholeness. That biblical word shalom that I talked about, it's this idea of wholeness. It's being fully yourself, being fully alive in this world. I was reading a book by Brian McLaren this week, and, and he argued that what we're all seeking is aliveness. And I think that's a great way to think about what we really want in our lives. He says what, what we all want is actually pretty simple, really. He says we want to be alive. We want to feel alive. Not to just exist, but to thrive, to live out loud, to walk tall, to breathe free. We want to be less lonely, less exhausted, less conflicted or afraid. More awake, more grateful, more energized and purposeful. We capture this kind of mindful, overbrimming life in terms of well-being, shalom, blessedness, wholeness, harmony, life to the full and aliveness. When Jesus asked, what are you seeking? This is pretty close to what I'm seeking in my life. I imagine others of you feel the same. We want to be alive. We want to be fully ourselves, to be whole. Yet what I'm noticing in my own life and the lives of many of you all and others is that, is that we have a really hard time getting there, don't we? We have a hard time getting to the place where we want to be. Our society doesn't help us much because the answer from our society almost always is to buy more and to consume more. It's all about more, 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 and somehow that's going to get us to where we want to be. And we all recognize that's not working, right? That's not, being, that's not helpful at all. And I think many of us, if not all of us, recognize something's wrong. But we're not quite sure how to fix it, right? We know we're not who we want to be. And I think our story in John can help us. So the disciples responded to Jesus' question with another question. 
So Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? And then they responded to Jesus with another question. And what their question was, where are you staying? Now again, the translation is not very good here. The word for staying in Greek is this word meno. And now meno is used over 40 times in the Gospel of John. And it's almost always translated to abide or to remain. If you know the the scripture in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, that's the word we're talking about here. It's to abide. So their question is really much deeper than where Jesus is staying for the night. Where his room is or his tent is or what guest house he's staying in. They're wanting to know way more than that. They want to know where Jesus is abiding. I read these words this week. Audrey West says that they want to know about the enduring, permanent, eternal, undying dwelling place of this Lamb of God. Where are you staying? Where can we find you? Where shall we go to be with you to receive what you have to offer? Where can we be in the very presence of God? They understood in that moment that abiding with Jesus, being with Jesus, was how they would become more alive, more awake, more grateful, more energized, more purposeful, more whole. I love the response from Jesus. He says, come and see. Come and see. The disciples are going to find what they're looking for in the experience of abiding with Jesus. It is through eternal and lasting friendship with Jesus that we find that aliveness that McLaren is talking about. The Gospel of John is a fascinating Gospel. It's so different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you've read all four, you know John seems a bit odd. And and John is, one thing I love about John is because John hammers this point home over and over and over and over again. That how we become alive, how we find life, which is a predominant theme in John, finding life, being alive, being whole, it is through abiding with Jesus. It's through being so connected with Jesus that it's this kind of eternal friendship that's always there. That that Jesus is the center. That out from Jesus, everything is flowing in our life. That is what the Gospel of John is all about. And John gives us the answer right at the beginning of his Gospel. That this is how we will find what we are seeking. It's through being with Jesus. Abiding with Jesus. That eternal and lasting friendship with Him. You know, this week, Christina and I were talking through the sermon, and we came up with the idea just to do it together, and she pointed out to me this coolest part of the story that I wasn't really paying attention to. And so it says, so they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they spent the day with him. Now, I love that the first thing in the Gospel of John that we see Jesus doing, it's not going and doing some big miracle, it's not taking his disciples on some crazy exorcism No, Jesus spent the day hanging out with his new friends. So his first words were a question, what are you seeking? And his first action with his new friends was that they spent the day together. Perhaps the writer of this gospel is trying to show us something. That the path to becoming alive is being in relationship with Jesus. Christina is going to share a story from her life, and I invite her to come on up. That, that testifies to the truth of these words in John 1. 
And like I said, she's going to share a song for us, and she'll explain it. But for me, the song is a song for those of us who are having a hard time and just can't seem to get to where we want to be. And it's a song that maybe could help us get unstuck. And so um, I'm going to turn it over to Christine. Thanks, John. I was 19 years old when I bumped into the word abide for the first time, like intentionally. I probably read it before. But I was in John chapter 15 about the vine and the branches, and I heard Jesus say, come abide with me. And it stirred up that longing for more aliveness. But it also stirred up something else, frustration. And just this idea of like, but how? I heard Jesus call me to abide, and I didn't know how to do it. I had heard people talk about a relationship with Jesus all my life. I'd grown up in the church, and I grew up in a Baptist church, which some others share that part of the story with me as well. They would have said at 11 years old, when I prayed a very specific prayer, I started that relationship, right? So I had been living in that environment. I had heard that you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but Jesus had never been personal to me. He didn't feel like a friend. I didn't know how to find him. I didn't know how to abide with him. But at 19, when I heard him call me to abide, I wanted to. And so I said, how? Just tell me how, Jesus. How do I abide with you? And I was really asking what these disciples were asking. Where can I find you? Where can I really be in the presence of God? I started asking that question when I was 19, and I've been asking it ever since, learning about the different layers of what that looks like. Over the last decade of my own searching since that time, I've come to realize that the invitation Jesus makes in this passage, when he calls us to come, there's layers to that. And there's lots of layers, but I'm just going to break it down into two different kinds today. I think sometimes to really build an actual friendship with Jesus, the invitation is come away with me. And then I think other times the invitation is come engage with me. Come do the work I'm doing. And I don't think this is true in all communities necessarily, but I think here maybe sometimes it's easier for us to answer that second question, that second invitation to come and and dive in and do some work and make sure we're active and working with Jesus. Sometimes that first invitation is a whole lot harder to respond to. But we're not going to rest by that invitation today. Jesus is in the midst of this place today, and he is extending the invitation, I believe. Come away with me. When was the last time you spent a day with Jesus? An hour? Five minutes? Come away with me. We need to be reminded of this invitation over and over again because the noise around us is so loud. Maybe especially at the beginning of the year, this is a really important invitation. A lot of us are already thinking about trying to pick more of the things that bring us life up and put them into our lives. We're trying to think about letting go of the things that are stumbling blocks and that keep us from our full potential, right? Well, I'm just going to say it to you straight today, friends. In our planning, Jesus has to be included. We are designed so that abiding with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, creates the foundation for any other good thing to actually be a good thing in our lives. 
we've got to make that time with Jesus. But as important as that invitation is, I'm also aware that it's hard. That often making time to spend with Jesus feels like an uphill battle or just totally inaccessible. Some of us think five minutes with Jesus sounds really unrealistic. We, we don't, can't imagine like sitting down and, and trying to find Jesus even for five minutes. We wonder what would that look like, let alone spending a day with him. So I just want to share a little illustration from my life about that today. I, too, was daunted by the idea of spending a whole day with Jesus when I first was invited to practice Sabbath. But a college professor I really appreciated, really respected, invited me to practice Sabbath. And so I was like, okay, going to give it a try. And the first time I ever set out to practice Sabbath, I remember I just did everything really slowly. Right? So I was very legalistic at that point in time, and I believed that if I was going to do Sabbath right, I needed to stretch out my pious activities over the whole day. So I was just real slow. I went to church that morning and talked to everybody I could talk to. I ate lunch in the cafeteria and, like, stretched out my courses of food and, like, walked really slowly back to my dorm. And I loaded up a backpack with some books and my Bible and a journal and a towel to spread out on the green. And I walked really slowly out to the semicircle. And then I got out my towel, and I sat down, and I went, oof, I'm out of slow. Like, now it's just me and the silence. Like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> and so I got out my journal. And I like to write, so that's what made sense to me. I started there. I got out my journal, and I just started to kind of pour out my heart, like Dear Diary style. But it started with, dear God, that's not how you have to journal. That's just what happened for me that day. And something weird happened. Because I started to write, I came to, like, a natural pause. I, like, asked a question to the page. And I just sat and I waited and I didn't really know what happened next. And then it was like the beginning of an answer just kind of started to bubble up in my soul. Like, just a few words. And I wrote those few words on the paper and then I just kept writing and it was like, a conversation kind of like showed up on the page in front of me. Somehow, in the silence and in my resistance, Jesus showed up, and I wasn't alone, and I, I felt seen and known, and it wasn't so hard to spend the afternoon that way. Somebody told me about a secret access prayer chapel, which, in, you know, made it way more exciting from the get-go. It was across the street at the seminary, and somebody gave me the code. I still don't really know how that happened. I think it was just gift, right? And so I would pack up my guitar, and I'd sling it over my shoulder because mine's cool. It has straps. And I would walk across the street when the sun set so I could make sure nobody else was going to be around. And I would, like, slip into this little secret prayer chapel. And it would be just me. And I would kneel down on the floor, and I would just sit there in the silence. I had never loved silence before, but I began to. And I would just feel so held in that silence, just so held by him. And sometimes I'd pull out my Bible and I'd read, and sometimes I would read the same psalm week after week after week and just kind of soak in it. Wasn't expecting myself to learn anything or make some great discovery. I just kind of soaked in it. And then eventually I would take out my guitar and strum some chords and Sometimes lyrics would come bubbling out. I'd write whole songs in just a few minutes, and, 
And then I would listen back to them, and I would realize that in the song, there was my wrestling, but then it also went somewhere, and it, like, took me to some wisdom that Jesus wanted me to hear. It's weird. Writing for me has always been a conversation. It's better when I don't talk, when I listen and when I write. And I came to love my Sabbath days. I came to love sneaking away to spend the day with Jesus. And I found the ingredients that made that time so special were creativity and silence and solitude and just really giving myself space to discover. And I started to crave those ingredients in my everyday life. I experimented with lots of different disciplines. I'd memorize scripture on little index cards while I walked across campus. I'd, like, see a leaf that was shaped like a heart and be like, oh, Jesus, you see me, you know? Just everything came alive. And I, I came to the point where I realized that my whole life had the capacity to just be saturated with the presence of God. And I began to learn what it meant to abide, to remain in him. But I still had this deep sensation that my abiding was dependent on the regularity and even the sincerity with which I practiced disciplines. I would panic. I would wonder with no small degree of distress on weeks that I overscheduled myself and missed a Sabbath. And I would wonder, have I fallen out of abiding? And it took me a long time, a lot of years, a lot of seasons, to really learn that my abiding relationship with Jesus wasn't made or broken by the good things I did, those things just made me more aware of that relationship, more plugged into the power that it offered me. And you know, it took trauma, and it took coming to the end of myself and feeling like I couldn't do anything at all to really get to the point where I began to believe Jesus' words that I could abide in him because he was already abiding in me. In seasons drenched in numbness and questions and doubt, I didn't spend a whole day with Jesus. I didn't know how to anymore. For many months that blurred together, I didn't practice Sabbath. On my best days, I spent mere moments in broken conversations where I didn't have much to say and I never really felt like I heard anything back. Slowly, I learned to breathe as prayer. I learned that I could walk outside when it rained and cry and breathe and call it worship. I learned to pay attention when a few scattered lines of a song I'd heard at some point in the past kind of floated across my mind. I'd look up the song, and I'd just, like, sit on the couch and play the song and often weep and just let that be it. Let it cleanse me. I also learned to use my best energy to dance in the kitchen as a form of worship. I would fling my whole broken body around the space with abandon because no one had ever told me how to do it right, and so I could be free. That was worship for me. Slowly, I started to learn how to spend the day with Jesus again. I learned how to find solace in Sabbath. I went back to the journal, and I started to find the voice of my soul and the voice of my good shepherd again. Couldn't make myself journal any other time. Used to be like a daily thing at one point in my life. Now it's like only on Sabbath, on a good one, right? But it's there. It's important to me. 
I learned to build a whole lot of spaciousness and intentional slowness still, grace and gentleness into those days. Now when I Sabbath, I just let my body wake me up. I sleep until my body wakes me up. And then I eat something that nourishes me. Usually there's some chocolate chips involved. It's for the soul too. And then I just read or pray or journal, whatever feels like it's calling to me at that moment. And I just do a little bit at a time, and usually I end up falling asleep. And I nap without any sort of guilt about the fact that peace can turn into sleep. I spend time with people who are life-giving to me. I'm honest about who I am. I don't hide my anxieties or my scars. I choose to be honest when I'm interacting with the people who are part of my community. And sometimes I put away house chores even though I'm not a very clean person and so they're usually there waiting for me. Sometimes I put them away when it feels burdensome. But sometimes, even on my Sabbath, I will feel God extend to me a gentle invitation to restore order to my space and to myself. And so sometimes I will sing and do dishes. My Sabbath looks different than it did when I first found it. But it's still so incredibly important to the foundation of how I live my life. I believe today that there's nothing special about my experience. I've learned how to talk about it, so that might feel different. But I believe the invitation is extended to every one of us today. Come away with me. Maybe this year, for you, the invitation is to try Sabbath for the first time. Maybe it's to return to Sabbath. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe you need five minutes of silence to get over the fact that it feels terrible and start to find something on the other side. And the invitation for each of us might be something different, but it's there. I believe it's for every single one of us. But I also, having been with Jesus in seasons full of life and having found him abiding with me in the dark, can't talk about spending time with Jesus today without acknowledging that this feels super burdensome and not life-giving to at least some of you in the room. Because I've been there. I've been the one hearing these kind of things, feeling like it didn't apply to me. I know that for some of us in this room, the problem with accepting this invitation from Jesus is deeper than a logistical issue of finding time. For some of us, that desire for aliveness has gone unmet for so long, we just feel kind of dead inside whether it's because of trauma or loss or whatever our own specific kind of suffering is, we just feel kind of dead inside. It's hard to imagine moving beyond this place where we're stuck. The distance, the numbness, the feeling like the intimacy other people talk about doesn't apply to you. It can be hard to believe that this invitation is for you today, too. But with all the gentleness that that particular pain requires, hear me today. Come away with me, Jesus says to you. I'm going to share a song today that I wrote several years ago, actually. And I didn't bump into it again until this past week. 
I sat down at the piano the day I wrote it, and I recorded it on my voice memo app, and I walked away from it. And I haven't done anything with it. Three years later, I found it again, and I went, oh, there's something for me to learn here. I remember the time I was writing it, I was having an incredibly difficult time figuring out how to do anything active to spend time with Jesus. And I just remember sitting in my house, and I just prayed, and I said, God, I feel like I just broke down completely. Like I just came to a screeching halt, and I have no idea how to get moving again. This inertia is just too much to overcome. I am not a science person. You could look at my ACT scores, and that would be very clear to you. I can't tell you when I learned about inertia. I probably couldn't have defined it for you in that moment. But it's the word that felt like it captured my experience. I felt like the Lord gave it to me as some sort of, like, handhold in a moment where I felt like I was groping in the dark. So it shows up in this song. I sat down, and I wrote a song and used the word inertia and walked away. And then I came back this week, and I heard the song, and I went, oh, yeah, I remember this feeling. Inertia. Huh. I looked it up. I was like, I need to know what it really means since it's in this song. And I Googled it, and two definitions came up from Google. And the first one is a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged. That's it. That's where I was when I wrote this song. I think that's what I thought it meant. And then the second one, I got really excited. It's from physics, y'all. Prepare yourselves. A property of matter by which it continues in its existing state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless that state is changed by an external force. Fancy science words aside, it spoke directly to my soul. Here's what I heard in that definition. Inertia is a property of matter, a condition of being human since we're made of matter, in which someone who is not moving will keep not moving unless they are acted on by an external force. Do you see the power there yet? Let me keep teasing it out, okay? What is true for us physically, since we are fully connected, you know, we're not just bodies, we're body, mind, spirit, heart, all of that. Since we're all connected, what's true for us physically, because we're made up of matter, has to have some sort of effect on our spiritual life too, right? So when we are stuck, we're going to keep being stuck until Jesus changes it. He won't change us without our consent. My friend Riley likes to say Jesus is consensual. But you better believe he's also faithful. And when we ask him, he changes us. It might be slow. It might be painful. It might take a whole lot longer than we would have ever chosen. But he changes us. Come away with me, Jesus says to you. Today, you might only be able to reply, I can barely get out of bed. I have nothing to offer you but it's yours. Friends, when we have absolutely nothing at all to offer, our nothing is our offering. And that's enough. As Jesus reminded me when I heard this song again this week, he can take even that, even our stuckness, 
even our all-too-natural inertia and transform it. In the process, he can transform us too. So I'm going to play this song. I retaught it to myself this week. Guys, I've played it like four times, so grace me. But I didn't write this song because I was imagining what someone else might feel like. I wrote it because I felt this. I wrote it because I needed it. And because through this song, Jesus was reaching out to me. So as I play it today, I do so with the hope that maybe it gives you language, maybe a prayer to pray in the dark. But most importantly, my hope is that as I play this song, Jesus just might reach out to you. Some days I don't know if I'm just lazy Or if I'm too used to these wounds I can't imagine that the inside could match the outside But on days that I have strength I pray that you would make it so Jesus, I need you to do what only you can do. Turn my inertia into worship, won't you? That as I gaze upon your face, I may be changed. Come to bear your likeness too. tired to accept your gifts and I don't know quite when I broke like this but we've been stalling ever since Jesus, I 
Thank you, Christina, for sharing your heart um, and your story and beautiful song as well. We're going to share communion together. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on up um, as we're getting ready to take communion. If you need a communion cup, Rick, would you mind bringing the basket through here? Just raise your hand and Rick will bring you one. As you're getting all that together, let's just close our eyes for just for a moment, bow our heads. I'm going to say a prayer for us. God, we are so grateful for the way you pursue us. That Lord, we it's ultimately not up to us, Lord, that you, you see us, you pursue us, you run after us. And Lord, even when we run from you, you, you come after us, even into the darkest of places. Lord, when we take communion today, Lord, I, I, I have on my heart just this idea that, Lord, you... You didn't stay far off, that you came and you entered our world to find us and to seek and save those of us who are lost. And I think we all know that, that we, we are lost and that we need you, Lord, and, and with you we can be found. And God, I just pray that you would meet us here in this moment, that you would speak to each person here, Lord, in whatever way they need to hear, that you would speak to their spirits and Draw them into your presence one way or another, Lord. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for giving up your life, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you came into this world just willing to embody all that you were and all that you are. You were so full of love and that truth and goodness and justice, that you were willing, Lord, to even go down the darkest road. For the redemption of our lives and, and our world, Lord, thank you so much. I pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread and juice, and it, that it would be for us the body and blood of Christ, that you would fill us up this morning in a fresh way, and that we would leave here changed. Because we've encountered you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you want to go ahead and get out the wafer on top, whatever you have at home, you can get that out as well. I encourage you to take and eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. You can take and drink. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. I invite all y'all to stand together as we uh, sing our closing song. I'd love to pray with you. If you need that, I'll just be over here. Um, just come find me. Pastor Tanya will be in the back as well, and she'd love to lift you up there as well.
guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my
Amen. Well, thank you all so much for being here today. I know we went a little bit over on time, but thank you all for bearing with us. Um, hopefully, you heard something you needed to hear this morning. Hopefully, God spoke to your heart in some way, um, and you leave here uh, with something to kind of chew on and, and wrestle with as you go throughout your week. Um, before we leave, I'll just let you know that if you need anything, please let us know. The Connect cards in your pews are a great way to get in touch with us if we don't get a chance to talk after service. If you'd like to fill one of those out, you can put one in the box here or back by the door back there. You can also give um, by putting a, a gift, financial gift in the box as well or give online. Um, and don't forget to talk to Grayson um, if you are interested in mentoring at Common Good or if you just have some questions about it, aren't sure. He's going to be in the back by the sound booth. Just go back there and find him. He'd love to, to talk with you more about that. So if you could prepare your hearts to receive the benediction, may the love of God the Father the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.